Amen. Well, good morning. I know we've already welcomed you before this, but I just want to say again, welcome. So thank you so much for being here with us this morning, especially if this is your first time. And I also want to just say a special welcome to those who are online. Can we just say welcome and hello just by clapping and thank you for joining us online as well. Well, how many of you would describe yourselves as readers? All right, so some of you, I know maybe readers are also a little introverted sometimes, so maybe you're a reader and you don't like raising your hand, and that's okay too. Uh, I have to confess, I'm not really much of a natural reader, but I have worked very hard to become more of a reader as I have gotten older. I remember one of the first like significant books that I read by choice that was more than like, you know, this thick. It was like a thicker book, and um, my, my aunt had given us a book of, of live a box of books from her library, and I was in middle school or something, and I was sifting through these books, and I came across what to me was one of the most beautiful books that I had ever seen. It's got these, like, nice, nice hard cover, kind of golden pages on the edge. It's got one of the little ribbon bookmarks. I mean, the cover, you can see this is just, it's a really beautiful book. And I flipped through it as, as a little girl and I, I looked at the, you know, the pictures in it. And, but it, it's obviously a hefty book. And so I, I determined that it was worth the read because it was so beautiful. And, and I turned it on the side and I, I read on the side, Alcott, Little Women. And so I picked this book up as, as again, as a middle schooler or so, and, and I read through it all the way start to finish, and I loved it. It actually ended up becoming one of my favorite books, and I've since read it multiple times, and also other books that are this long and longer as well. Uh, but I love recommending this particular book to people, and, and more than just a beautiful like cover book, it's a beautiful story inside. It's a story of, of these four sisters, these little women. At the start, they're, they're just young girls, and they're kind of stepping into society, growing up into young women. And, and I love recommending it, just, again, because it's, it's such a good story, and, and it's just wholesome. There's so many good lessons. But whenever I recommend it to people, I am always very careful to not spoil the ending, not to spoil the details, because I want them to read through all the way to the end. Because have you ever had someone tell you about a story and completely ruin it before you have a chance to read it? They're like, okay, so this book, it's really good, um, but the main character dies, but it's okay. So this is how the story goes. And you're just like, are you kidding me? You just ruined the whole story. I don't even want to read it now because you ruined the ending. And they're like, no, 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 it's really good, though. You should read it. And you're like, well, maybe. I kind of feel like that in the middle of the book of Hebrews. See, we're reading all these stories of, of these people of faith, these, these heroes of the faith, and, and we've been looking at them just over the past few weeks here. And, and then in Hebrews 11, verse 13, the author of Hebrews says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. 
they agreed that there were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And then hop over to verse 39. Again, he says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. I read those verses and I'm just like, come on, man. Seriously, they were reading all these stories and, and they're just these incredible lives of faith and, and these, these pictures of a faith-filled life. And, and then the author of Hebrews just goes and says, now just to be clear, they all died and they didn't actually live to see it all worked out. Like seriously, who writes this stuff? Come on. It kind of just makes me want to stop reading there and just be like, well, I give up whatever. Even in life sometimes it feels like that. You know, someone says one thing and, and it feels like, you know what, I just quit. I'm done. I'm done trying. I'm, I'm done reading to the end. And, you know, I've been nice to my friends, nice to my boss. I show up to work on time. I'm the last one to leave. I do a good job and I'm good to my, my spouse, to my kids, to my neighbors. I'm, I'm a good person and I'm doing my best. And then there's still days that it just kind of feels pointless. And then Hebrews goes on and says, and by the way, even the heroes of the faith didn't get to see it all. They got good reputation. They're remembered well. We remember their names and their stories. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. So, so what? Everything that they did by faith was, was a waste? See, maybe the, the question that I'm, I'm circling around here is this. Is the faith-filled life really worth it? Is allowing the unseen to guide my life and following what God asks me to do day in, day out, everyday faithfulness on the days when it just feels worthless, is it worth it? Now, here's the thing about faith, though. Faith is not just a here and now thing. It's a future thing as well. And so we can't expect to fully understand why faith works by just looking at this life. Because by faith, we believe that this life isn't the end of the story. See, the author of Hebrews kind of jumps in and, and ruins the story in verse 13, but then he, he really ruins it in uh, verse 14. He spoils the whole end of the whole story by telling us what lies at the very end of it all. He writes in Hebrews 11, picking up in verse 14, obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, this life 
This world is not the end of the story. And that's, that's always been a part of, of the Christian faith. I mean, take a look back again at, at Hebrews 11, some of those stories, some that we looked at and some that we didn't get a chance to. Right there, just in, in verse 20, it says, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed, on, bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. See, all of these heroes of the faith realized that life, their lives, life on earth was not the end of the story. Isaac believed there was a future for his sons, and Jacob believed that, that blessings were still ahead for his sons, and Joseph believed that Egypt was not the end of the story for the people of Israel. See, if faith was just a, a this-life thing, then we'd be missing the best part of the story. But part of faith is believing that there's more to the story than just this life. There's actually life after life, what the Bible calls heaven, eternity with Jesus. And the Bible actually talks about heaven over 700 times. Why? Because it's the best part. Like when you go to a restaurant and you tell, them how, tell people how good the food is, you're always going to tell people if the dessert was really good because it's the best part. You're going to bring it up time and time again. Heaven is the best part of the story. At the end of the faith-filled life lays an incredible end to the story. And it is so much better than anything this life has to offer. So as I heard a couple over here say, the faith-filled life is worth it. Because we know what waits at the end of the story. But now I, I know how some of you operate, how some of you think, because maybe it's similar to how I think. I can hear the little wheels turning in your head, and you're thinking, so if the end is so great, then why don't we just skip to the good part and, and skip over to that? Right? Let's, let's, just, let's just go to the end, and if, if it's so great, why are we wasting any time with all the rest of this. And, and the church has actually been guilty of some of that theology sometimes. Even one of the greatest heroes of the faith, the Apostle Paul, kind of seemed to ask this question in, in a letter he wrote to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1, he says, For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can, do no, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. See, here's the thing. The middle matters. The middle 
matters. My daughter may not be reading Little Women anytime soon, but Amos and I are exploring the wonderful world of children's books with her, and some of them are really great, and some of them are really not. We, we went to the library uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and I got this one. It's called Five Little Chicks. And I thought it was a fitting one. She's into, like, farms and farm animals. We've been doing the, the farm stuff right now. So I thought this, this would be a good pick, little chicks. So we, we get home from the library, and, and she, she goes to pick out a book. And, and sure enough, she picks this one. So she grabs it, and she kind of waddles over it and backs up and sits down on my lap like she does. So, so I sit down, and, and I start reading. Five little chicks popped out of their eggs. And I count one, two, three, four, five. The first one said, look, I have legs. I know you're excited to see what happens. The second one said, wow, what a lovely day. And the third one says, then come on, let's play. And, and Phoebe's just paying attention, just, just drawn into this book. The fourth one says, splish, splash, with a shout. And the fifth one says, phew, I'm all tuckered out. And the five little chicks waddled out of sight. And Phoebe gets up and, and she uh, runs and gets some toys. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the stupidest <laughs> children's book I have ever read. Like, seriously, the chicks are splashing, they're having fun, like, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, they're waddling out of sight. Like, who writes this stuff? Seriously. You know? And, and then a few days later, she goes and, and she picks out a book to read. And, and sure enough, she picks up five little chicks. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's sit down. I know the drill. Five little chicks, blah, 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 blah. And, and we're reading through it. And I'm just like, seriously, this is such a dumb book. What on earth? And then, and then I get to what I thought was the last page. And I realize that some sticky child from the library must have had it before us. And a couple of the pages were stuck together. So I realize, okay, I missed something. So I open it up. The fifth one said, phew, I'm all tuckered out. Cheap chirped the chicks, and soon it was night, and the five little chicks waddled out of sight. So clearly, that's why the five little chicks waddled out of sight, because it was night, obviously. See, even in a little children's book, though, you can tell when you've missed something, right? It, it didn't feel complete. Something wasn't quite right. And you can apply that to any more uh, riveting read and know that the middle matters. See, so look at any of the, the great works, the, the classics, you know, Great Gatsby, Count of Monte Cristo, Pride and Prejudice, or Tolkien's, you know, Lord of the Rings books. Any, any good story, we know that what happens in the middle matters. See, if I, if I take my favorite book here and I open it up to the middle and I start just ripping pages out and I pull out the parts that, that make me cry 
that make me angry. I pull out the hard parts. Then I'm also going to miss and lose the parts that took courage, the parts that developed the characters, made them who they were. And, and I'll, I'll lose the part that helps me understand how they got to the end. And for what? Just so I can skip to the end? See, if I did that, the, the whole story would be lost on me. The ending doesn't even feel like worth it anymore if I just pull out the middle. So you could have a brilliant beginning. You know, boy meets girl, they fall in love, but without the middle, all of a sudden it's like, boom, dragons and fire and... And then the end, and you're like, where did the dragons come from? You know, like when you're a kid and you fall asleep during a movie and, and then you wake up and you're like, I am so lost. And then you go on and tell people it wasn't a very good movie and you're like, you didn't even see it. The story is lost on you. You missed all the middle. So you can't get... To the end, the beautiful, magnificent, better-than-now, perfect end without going through the middle. So the middle matters. For those who have chosen to follow Christ, the middle matters. What's the middle for us? The life filled with faith, with, with everyday faith, with extraordinary faith, with easy faith, but also with, with hard faith and, and unnoticed faith, unseen faith. It matters. There's a story tucked into Hebrews that has always just fascinated me. You guys know I like stories, so anytime I read kind of a, a compelling story. I, I, I'm drawn to it. And it's the story of a guy named Enoch. He only has a handful of verses in the whole Bible, like six verses. But his story is a beautiful picture of not only the end of the story, but also the middle. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. His story comes from the book of Genesis. The author of Hebrews is just kind of recalling back to it and reflecting on his story. But I like the way that Genesis describes him. It says, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared. Because God took him. Like one day, Enoch was here. He was, he was born. He lived. He breathed. He had a family. And the next, he was just gone. He didn't die. He literally just disappeared. Which really makes no sense. Like why would God take him? What made Enoch so special? And, and we don't know. That's all we know about Enoch. 
but we know the middle. We know how he lived, what he did between the beginning of his story and the end of his story where he got to be with God. In the middle, he was walking in fellowship with God. He lived a life of faith. That was the middle, and it mattered. Because the end of the story, being taken up by God without even dying, doesn't make any sense unless you understand the middle. His faith-filled life. See, the faith-filled life is worth it because we know what's at the end of the story, a reward, a, a beautiful city prepared for us, a heavenly homeland, an eternity with God who created it all because he loves us. And that's what waits at the end of the story for the Christian. But the middle, the part of our story that, that lands between the beginning and the beautiful, better end matters. Because it's what gets us to the end, what leads to the reward, the everyday steps of faith, the, the faithful day-to-day -day actions that Pastor Jared talked about last week. The faith-filled life is worth it for the end, but you got to live a life of faith to get there. Remember what the author of, of Hebrews wrote after he talked about Enoch's story. There in, in verse 6, he says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe, one, that God exists, and two, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Those two things, they happen in the middle. They happen in, in this life, in, in the faith-filled life. But there's, there's also this beautiful reality that our stories of faith actually help point the way to others in the midst of their stories of faith. And the way that we live faith-filled lives actually helps point to the beautiful end of the story. That's why after all these pictures in the book of Hebrews, all these pictures of, of lives well-lived, of faith-filled lives, the heroes of the faith, who were really just everyday people, faithfully living and following God every day. But after all these stories, the Hebrew author writes, therefore, like because of all this, because of all these stories, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. I like the way another version of this passage words, verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, we're, we're living in the middle. 
between the beginning of the story and, and the end, the beautiful end. And there will be an end to the story for every single person. Whether or not you believe in God, there will be an end when this life and this world are over. And every single person will face eternity either with God or without God, depending on what we choose to believe in this life in the middle. But as we run in the middle, we can, we can look on the sidelines. You ever run a race and you see there's people watching on the sidelines. We, we see these stories of faith. These lives well lived. It's like over there we see Abraham and, and then Noah and Moses and Enoch's way, there, way down at the end. And, and they've lived their lives of faith. And their stories remind us that this isn't the end. And now their lives point us to the finish line because they ran the race. And they're saying, hey, go, run. You can do it. Keep going. The race is worth it. And, and there's an incredible reward at the end of it. And the Hebrews author says, because of their examples, because of their lives, strip off anything that would slow you down and run the race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the one who already made it to the final reward. He was there at the beginning, and he'll be there at the end, but he chose to come down from heaven to live this life, to live our life, to live a, a human life, and he endured the ugliness of this world and, and of the cross and of death, and because of the joy that he knew was waiting at the end of, the, of it all, he said, no, nah, it's worth it. These people are worth it. But then instead of allowing the story to end with his death, he wrote a new ending. An ending our, our heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, they didn't even get to see they didn't know what was laying at the end of it all. God already knew the end of the story, but they didn't. They didn't know the part in the middle where Jesus came down to earth, was born as a baby, and then grew up and lived a perfect, sinless life. And, and he taught and he did miracles. But then he died on a cross for the sins of the world, but then he didn't stay dead, and he actually conquered death and offers us a chance at life. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, in the place of honor next to God's throne. And, and not only that, he's waiting for us to reach the end of the story and realize just how worth it the reward is. But you got to go through the middle to get there. So the middle matters. Author, scholar, and, and lay theologian C.S. Lewis wrote a series of stories that in a lot of ways depicted kind of an, an allegory, of, a picture of Christian faith and living. It was a series written for children, though adults have often turned to its pages for not only entertainment, but inspiration as well. These, these chronicles guide readers into a fantasy world called Narnia, where these everyday group of kids come face to face with good and evil and, and sin and darkness, but also light and forgiveness. 
and they engage in these, these real-life battles against the enemy, which oftentimes represents the enemy of our faith, Satan. But in the midst of these, these journeys and these battles, they also enjoy the, the companionship and the care and guidance and aid of a magnificent lion named Aslan, who, though Lewis never actually says this like word for word in, in the stories, is a constant image of the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ himself, whose presence is fierce and strong and terrifying, but also gentle and loving and kind. And in, in one of those books in the series, the children are approaching what they had come to know as Aslan's country, which is meant to be a picture of the end of the story of heaven. And if you'd allow me, I'd like to read a short excerpt from one of those books, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and help you picture, through the words of C.S. Lewis, approaching the end of the story. They're in a small rowboat, just to kind of help set the scene. They've been at sea for days. They're drawing closer to this picturesque representation of heaven. Listen and, and even close your eyes if you want to picture this as I read. There was no need to row, for the current drifted them steadily to the east. None of them slept or ate. All that night and all the next day, they glided eastward, and when the third day dawned, with a brightness you or I could not bear, even if we had dark glasses on, they saw a wonder ahead. It was as if a wall stood up between them and the sky, a greenish-gray, trembling, shimmering wall. Then up came the sun, and at its first rising, they saw it through the wall, and it turned into wonderful rainbow colors. Then they knew that the wall was really a long, tall wave, a wave endlessly fixed in one place, as you may often see at the edge of a waterfall. It seemed to be about 30 feet high, and the current was gliding them swiftly toward it. You might have supposed they would have thought of their danger. They didn't. I don't think anyone could have in their position. For now they saw something not only behind the wave, but behind the sun. They could not even see the sun if their eyes had, been, had not been strengthened by the water of the last sea. But now they could look at the rising sun and see it clearly and see things beyond it. What they saw eastward beyond the sun was a range of mountains. It was so high that either they never saw the top of it or they forgot it. None of them remembers seeing any sky in that direction, and the mountains must really have been outside the world. For any mountains, even a quarter of a twentieth of that height ought to have had ice and snow on them. But these were warm and green, full of forests and waterfalls, however high you looked. And suddenly there came a breeze from the east, tossing the top of the wave into foamy shapes and ruffling the smooth water all around them. It lasted only a second or so, but what it brought them in that second, none of those three children will ever forget. It brought both a smell and a sound, a musical sound. Edmund and Eustace would never talk about it afterward. Lucy could only say, it would break your heart. Why, said I, was it so sad? Sad? No, said Lucy. No one in that boat doubted that they were seeing beyond the end of the world 
into Aslan's country. Now, obviously, this isn't a description of the heaven that we read about in the Bible, but it's, it's meant to kind of capture the, the beauty of the reward at the end of the story. And, and when they eventually reach shore at the edge of Aslan's country, who should be waiting there but Aslan himself? At first, he's, he's a lamb, but he quickly transforms into a magnificent lion, that they had come to know and love. Of course, they're elated to reunite with their now dear friend, but they realize that their time has not yet come to enter into Aslan's country. They must return to their world, to their lives, to the everyday middle, which you can imagine must have been a shock for these children standing at the edge of an incredible, beautiful, better end to glimpse into it and to realize it's so worth it. But then Aslan gently instructs the children that for now, the middle was where they were meant to be. Listen again to their interaction with Aslan. Please, lamb, said Lucy. Is this the way to Aslan's country? Not for you, said the lamb. For you, the door into Aslan's country is from your own world. What, said Edmund? Is there a way into Aslan's country from our world too? There is a way into my country from all the worlds, said the lamb. But as he spoke, his snowy white flushed into tawny gold and his size changed, and he was Aslan himself towering above them and scattering light from his mane. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? I shall be telling you all the time, said Aslan. But I will not tell you how long or short the way will be, only that it lies across a river. But do not fear that, for I am the great bridge builder. And now, come, I will open the door in the sky and send you to your own land. They knew what waited at the end of the story. And they knew that it was worth it. But the only way to reach it was across the river, through the middle, by living and eventually finishing the life of faith. Now, there's one character in the Chronicles of Narnia stories who I think understood this better than, than anyone else in the books. This little mouse named Reepicheep. And, and his size had no effect on his might. But earlier in the story, he talks about how he is pushing forward to the middle. And, and he's determined to live his life with this, this determination towards the end. And, and he says, while I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or, or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose raised to the sunrise. Verse 
He had his eyes fixed on the reward, and he ran the race in the middle with every ounce of his little mouse body because his belief in the reward at the end determined and drove his every action and his direction of his life. And he knew that it was worth it because he knew what waited at the end of the story. So the middle mattered. Our lives are more than a storybook. And the Christian faith is more than a fantasy tale. Our lives, our stories are in the middle of a story that's bigger than any one of us. The story of a God who created the world and loves us. And it's more than just a story, though it had a beginning and it will have an end. It's real life. And the faith-filled life is worth it because we know what waits at the end of the story. But you got to live a life of faith to get there. So the middle Some of you are living the faith-filled life. You're following Jesus. You've chosen to follow him, put your faith in him, allow him to guide your life. And there will be days where you will question if it's worth it. But fix your eyes on the reward because it's worth it. But as you run, remember the middle matters. The way you live, the faith you choose to demonstrate, the people you invite with you along the way, it matters. So don't grow weary. But some of you haven't jumped into this story yet. You've been writing your own story. Maybe, maybe something in you this morning, though, is... is prompting you, calling you to maybe set down the pen and let someone else, a a new author, write your story. To let Jesus be the author and the finisher of your faith. I can promise you the middle won't always be easy, but I can also promise you the middle matters and the end of the story will be worth it. But it requires you to believe that God exists, that his son lived and died and wrote a new end to the story and to sincerely seek him through a faith-filled life following him. Right now, in the middle. So this morning... I want to just close in prayer and invite you to respond through prayer in a couple ways. So if you would, bow your heads with me. There's those in the room who are following Christ, who are seeking him and living a faith-filled life. But maybe you are weary. You're following but it just doesn't always feel worth it. So if that's you, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Would you just lift up your hand so that I can pray a blessing of endurance over you as you follow Christ? 
God, I pray over these who have their hands lifted. Would you fill them with the strength needed to run the race? Would you remind them that the middle matters and that the end is worth it? And so would you fix their eyes on you and give them the strength, the courage, the energy to run after you with every weight lifted off so that they can reach the end of the story and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. God, strengthen and energize their weary souls. There may be some here who have not started on this journey, who don't know Christ, and, and you're thinking, I, I think I might want this God to write my story because it's tiring to write it on my own. And, and I want to be sure about what the end holds, and, and I want to live a life that matters. And so if that's you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand and say, I, I think I might want to do that. I think I want to live and follow a God who will write my story for me, and I want to follow him with my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? God, I pray for those who have their hands lifted. Whether they, they know you or know about you or they've never heard your name until this morning, God, I pray that you would write a new story for their lives. Would you guide their lives? Would you show them how to follow you and how to live a life that matters so that they can see that the end is worth it? God, write their stories. Be the author of their stories. Starting today, let this be chapter one of a whole new story. It's in your name we pray.